0: This is Janelle Wood, and you are listening to the Finding Something Real podcast. Welcome, friend. The Finding Something Real podcast is designed especially for someone who's not sure about relationship with Jesus Christ. As someone who's been through my own ups and downs with faith, I desire to create an invitational place for people to process and address questions about God and Christianity. Finding something real is about finding restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love. Those are things I believe we all desire that Jesus Christ has the ultimate answers for. I tell people I don't just believe in Jesus because he's changed my life, although he has. I trust in him because he's radically real and there's no one better. So if you find that all hard to believe, I get that. And if you're skeptical, hey, you've come to the right place but I invite people to go on a journey with me. And today we're diving deeper into season six with questions curated by my co-host this month, Luca from Switzerland. The way this podcast works is a little different than other podcasts. Here every month we try to invite a different young woman to share her story, to talk about her questions, and then we invite on Christian guests who can address her honest questions or topics. So this month you've are listening to episodes curated by my friend Luca. In our first episode this month, Luca shared about her experience as an exchange student last year. She talked about her background and faith questions that she has. Last week, I shared a conversation with Liberty professor Dr. Keith Oglesby around the topic of why he shares his faith when there's so many different religions out there. So please be sure to check out that episode if you haven't already. It was a great conversation. Or the episode before that, where I was able to speak with Detective J. Warner Wallace about evidence and the resurrection. He had such great content, such great books, and that conversation was super rich. So I invite you to listen to that as well. But today we're going to be talking again about believing stories and miracles, among other things. And you are going to love today's special guest He is an educator, and you'll catch on to that pretty quickly as he shares today, and also gives practical applications for the things he shares about. You may know him as Mr. B with Red Pen Logic, and if that doesn't sound familiar to you, please go check out some of his content over at YouTube or Instagram or TikTok. He's doing incredible work. Just look for Red Pen Logic, and you'll hear more about what he's doing here in a minute uh, when we talk. Even though Luca didn't join in for today's conversation, I'm grateful for her sharing her real concerns about Christianity. And Luca, if you're listening, I know there's a point near the end of this conversation where I mentioned putting a rock in your shoe, so to speak. And that's a reference to something uh, some former guests, I believe it was first Alan Crostic, uh, have shared. It's the concept of wanting to give people something to think about in these types of conversations That leaves them thinking about it for a while, much like having a pebble in your shoe would leave you, you know, thinking for a while. (laughs) So friend, uh, that's my prayer for whoever's listening, uh, that this conversation would be like a pebble in your shoe. And we'll go ahead and dive into today's talk in just a moment. But first, a few words regarding stuff that helps keep us on the air. Hi, friend. This podcast is sponsored in part by Faithful Counseling. Life is full of ups and downs, unexpected twists and turns, and sometimes we struggle with all that can come our way. Faithful Counseling will assess your needs and match you with a licensed professional therapist who is also a practicing Christian. It's not a crisis line, it's not self help, it's professional counseling done securely online. And as someone with a master's degree in counseling psychology and whom at various times in the past 20 or so years has benefited from seeing a professional therapist, I know the value that professional counseling can bring because we all need someone to talk with and Faithful Counseling can help. Please visit faithfulcounseling.com slash finding something real to sign up for professional faith-based counseling. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. There's also a special offer for Finding Something Real listeners to get 10% off your first month at faithfulcounseling.com slash finding something real. Thanks again to Faithful Counseling for being a sponsor of this episode.
1: Hi friend, this is Tara Catherine, assistant producer here of the Finding Something Real podcast. This podcast is supported by listeners like you. So please comment, subscribe, follow, like, share, all the things. And one of the biggest things you can do to help keep this podcast on the air is to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We love your reviews. Your public feedback is a huge help to show others that we're not alone over here. So will you please do us a favor as long as you're not driving right this minute? Will you hit pause and go write a review? Maybe you'll even hear your review on here in a future episode. Thank you, listener in advance, for helping tell others about this
0: podcast by leaving your review. Well, a question we're going to be addressing today. Aren't some of the Bible stories a little over the top? I mean, the virgin birth, angels talking to a young woman, are we really supposed to take all that stuff literally? We're gonna dive into some of that today. Welcome back to the Finding Something Real podcast. This is your host, Janelle Wood, and I'm so excited for today's episode. You're listening Mm -hmm. in for season six, where we are starting off each month with a different young woman, sharing her faith story and allowing her the space to ask some tough questions about God and Christianity. This month, we are featuring conversations with or for a young woman named Luca from Switzerland. I invited Luca to be here today, and unfortunately, she's not able to join. To be honest, it's mostly my fault. I didn't give her much planning time. So I'll be asking your questions for you today, Luca, and I hope that I do them justice. Today's special guest has worked for Stand to Reason since 2015. He is a dynamic speaker who provides a blend of expertise and humor in each talk. Using easy to follow and visually engaging presentations, our guest today trains Christians to think clearly about what they believe and why they believe it. He has worked as a professional teacher since 2008, employed in both the private and public sector. He has multiple degrees, including a Master of Arts in Philosophy from Southern Evangelical Seminary. He serves as an adjunct Bible and science teacher at Innova Academy, a classical Christian school, and serves on the pastoral staff at Cedarview Community Church. That's a lot, and it's awesome. Tim Barnett, welcome to the Finding Something Real podcast.
1: Hey, thanks for having me. It's good to be with you.
0: Uh, Should I call you Tim or Mr. B.?
1: You decide. Um, you can call me Tim. I had my students uh, when I was when I was a full time teacher call me Mr. Barnett, and they shortened that to Mr. B. So that was kind of like the our playful, you know, but respectful kind of label or name for my for me. And uh, but yeah, you can just call me Tim.
0: That's awesome. So my husband, he's a middle school administrator in the public sector. Okay. Uh, but he was a science teacher for high school students for 12 years. So, what did you teach? What were you teaching?
1: Yeah. Uh, well, when I started my career in teaching, um, I started in the Christian school system, which actually I didn't really want to. I I went to a public school si- uh, through the public school system, and um, had no kind of desire or didn't didn't really know anything about the Christian school system. But that's where I could get a job. You know, it was pretty competitive um, back in 19, in 2008 and, uh, landed a physics position, but people who know the Christian school system know you kind of teach everything. Um, so I think that my first year I taught family studies, um, although my training, uh, is in, is in math and science in particular physics. So I did teach math and, and physics as well. Um, and then, uh, and then kind of carved my space out for, for, mostly science, Um, and then the public school system teaching science as well. Wow.
0: So how did you start working with Stand to Reason? How did that become the thing for you?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I um, kind of discovered this thing called apologetics. Um, While I was in university, the end of getting my degree in physics, I was really being challenged for my faith. And I actually wasn't taking my faith very seriously. For me, it was more like a cultural thing. I grew up in the church. And uh, you know, if, if the church doors were open, we were kind of there, that kind of thing. Um, but I was still living like the world for the most part. But I had a bunch of friends who were uh, Muslim and atheist and Jewish um, at the secular university I was going to. And we were just all talking about you know our religious backgrounds. And one of them asked me, why are you a Christian? And my response was, because my parents are Christians, mm. and it was one of those moments where that's not a good answer, but I had already said it, you know, and and uh,
0: <laughs> yeah, to own it. Then, but...
1: yeah, I really wanted those words back, you know. Husbands will know what I'm talking about. Sometimes you say something, and the words are already out, and you're like, "What? What am I? Why did I say that?" You know. Um, and so, I actually started looking deeper into the Christian faith. And uh, that led me to this whole arena of apologetics, and um, and when I became a teacher, I I started you know really going down a number of the chasing down a number of questions that I had, and uh, finding that man, there's some really good information out there on this stuff, some really good answers, and I've thought where has this been all my life? Mm-hmm. And so I was already teaching things like physics and math and so on. I thought maybe I could start teaching this stuff to to kids like you know me when I was growing up, so that I you're you're not just discovering this in your twenties, right. like this is the kind of thing we should know about when we're you know uh, in elementary school. So um, I started teaching on the side just for fun, usually for free, and um, and that kind of snowballed because you know church finds out, hey. This guy who was a teacher, he was t- doing this class on you know, how science and faith are compatible or how we have good reason to believe God exists or whatever. And um, and that kind of, just by word of mouth, started getting around. And I ended up finding myself at a conference with Sean McDowell, who's like a big dang Christian <laughs> apologist. He was the keynote speaker. I was like in the broom closet, giving some talk and uh, just doing a breakout. And I I went up to him and said, "Hey, I want to do what you do." Mm. And he's probably thinking, "Who is this? Who's this guy?" And uh, anyways, he came to hear me speak. We went out for dinner that night, which was really cool. And um, you know, to make a a long story short, we he he ended up introducing me to the folks at Standard Reason in California because here I am in in Canada, okay, near Toronto. <laughs> and uh, so here's this Canadian. Who's now getting introduced to these Californians over in uh, in uh state and reason? They invited me to one of their youth conferences, and uh, that turned out to be a job interview. And so yeah. I've been there kind of ever since 2015, yeah, and uh, it's been it's been just a ride. It's been mm-hmm. a good time.
0: Wow. So apologetics, you're giving uh, reasons for the Christian faith in gentleness and respect, right? Is that's that... right, that's right, okay. yeah. And Stand to Reason, They, we've had some people on here uh, previously from Stand to Reason, awesome, mm-hmm. awesome folks. Um, but you guys go all over. Are you also, are you worldwide? Are you just in the United States? Where do you go to travel and speak and what does that look like?
1: Yeah, typically um, I'm going throughout the US and Canada. Um, now we do get invitations to go further abroad. And some of my colleagues do that. I know, um, John Noyes, you've had him on, he's, I think going to New Zealand in a couple of weeks. So we do get, we do get invitations. Um, typically you know, I have three little girls at home, uh, 11, nine and seven, just turned seven. Mm-hmm. So, um, those, those three little girls need me here. Um, and so I kind of, if it's longer than 4 days away that's usually not going to happen um not until they're older and so there has been some exceptions to that but for the most part i try to you know go for the weekend and i'm back you know sunday night um that kind of thing uh so so but we do i, I we i know we have listeners and we have people who watch our youtube stuff um in particular you, you know i started doing this thing called red pen logic And um, I have been surprised at the messages I receive from people, you know, from South Africa or Australia or, you know, in in uh, South Korea, you know, all over the place. Um, It's that's really exciting that we're able to through social media, through the online presence, able to reach people all over the world. It's Mm -hmm. a lot of fun.
0: I was gonna say um i love the videos where you hold the mug that says keep calm <laughs> i'm an apologist yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> tell me about red pen logic and sure. mr b how did that come about and what are mm. you doing with that specifically i know that it's gone viral and, and we could talk about that in a minute but i'd love to hear a little sure. bit more about how that started
1: yeah so how that started was about six months before the pandemic um i'm sitting it was a summer that summer I'm sitting at home and I'm reading a tweet and it was actually from uh, this comedian from whose line is it anyway, that TV show. And she made this kind of pro choice argument kind of in the form of a joke. And I just thought this is really bad um, as an argument for the pro choice position, but it had like a hundred thousand likes, you know? And I thought, wow, people really think this is compelling. What would happen if someone, you know, pulled out the red pen, like as a teacher, that's what we did, right? And you correct your student's work. Now, of course, this isn't one of my students and I'm not, I don't want this. And I know some people have made this complaint that this is kind of condescending or whatever. That's not what I'm trying to do. I hope people see that when a teacher pulls out a red pen, they are correcting their student's work because they care, okay? They're trying to help the student. Now, I'm not trying to help this comedian. What I'm trying to do is I just want to show for the rest of the world who are going to read this kind of material, this kind of argument, that there actually is a really um, important response that they need to hear. Or maybe there's a fallacy that's embedded into the argument that as soon as you see it, you can't unsee it, You know that kind of thing. And so kind of a creative way to do that would be to pull out the red pen and, and start drawing on the tweet. And uh, so I did that that summer, and I just posted it on my on my page on Facebook or something, and it like got a lot of traction. You know, I thought, wow, like hundreds of people are sharing this. It's like there's a need for this kind of thing. And then, okay, fast forward now to when the world shuts down in March of 2020. Now that created a problem because my job is to travel and speak at places. But Canada and U.S. we closed our borders. In fact, you couldn't even go to church um, in Canada. You couldn't have more than five people at your house at one point. Like you know, you know what took place. I mean, it was just it was just wild and crazy. Um, and uh, so I thought, what am I going to do to make an impact through all this? How do I still reach people with um, you know apologetics and the gospel? And then the idea was, hey, let's try some of this red pen stuff. Maybe we could even do videos that go along with it. So I went, took that standard reason. They thought, hey, let's let's give it a try. They, we softened our approach. I, I admit, okay, that when I started doing the red pen thing, I was much more aggressive. Um, I think that sarcasm is my love language. OK, um, and <laughs> and that's just I mean, if you talk to my wife, she would tell you, you know, she's still trying to figure out sometimes when I'm being serious and when I'm not, you know, and um, and I, I started by putting letter grades on kind of for fun. Like, you know, I gave this comedian like a D minus in biology, you know, on her on her tweet. And uh, I thought, you know what? And actually, I'll just I'll just tell you, I had a really good conversation with her because my my post kind of went, you know. It got some traction. So she saw it. It had visibility. She messaged me. And we had a really sweet kind of conversation back and forth. You know, she gave me a D minus in comedy. And I was like, okay, that's kind of funny. <laughs> um, and uh, and anyways, I think she saw the spirit of it. And by the way, that's happened numerous times. Mm-hmm. I have actually, you know, you've seen me respond to people, whether it's through video or through just on the graphic, and especially through the video, people see I'm not trying to hurl insults. I'm not trying to put anyone down. In fact, our focus is on the ideas, not the individual. So in many cases, I don't use people's names. I'm always trying to stick right to what is the idea put put forth in the in the video or the graphic. Let's talk about that. and uh, and when someone makes a good point, I try to point it out, you know, And so try to keep it as friendly as possible. And I've had, some of those individuals who you'd think, man, they would be so upset that they got red penned, you know, they would be just so hurt reaching out to me and saying, thank you, um, for, you know, adding your opinion. And I think that, you know, I'm going to take this, I'm going to take this to heart and I appreciate the spirit in which you have given it. And I just thought, man, that's cool. That's, mm-hmm. I mean, if you take anything away from what we're doing at red pen logic, I hope it's that like, mm-hmm. I'm trying to model what it should look like to talk to unbelievers and to assess bad thinking using good thinking so um we launched on my birthday April 29th 2020 immediately we're seeing a lot of traction you know like our YouTube in 24 hours we'd a thousand subscribers on YouTube it helped that like Mike winger you know and some of these <laughs> other like kind of big name guys were sharing this thing and I thought, and that kind of made me feel good too, right? Like, wow, that's that's kind of neat. And immediately, um, Red Pen was kind of born, you know? And uh, it just continues to grow. Now we're on Instagram and we're on, uh, what else? We're on YouTube, Facebook, and TikTok. Um, and uh, all those platforms um, are, are doing quite well. So yeah, it's exciting.
0: Yeah, yeah, it is exciting. And you're diving into territory that um it's unknown for a lot of older christians right because i've mm-hmm. seen your videos i've seen some of your graphics before in christian groups where people are like i don't understand this you know there's like a yeah <laughs> which i think personally it would frustrate me if the very people that i you know i'm on the same team with don't understand what i'm doing but i've i've yeah. noticed that you're willing to take that risk and when you're doing these videos like you said um you're you're walking a very fine line, but you do it well, Tim, because I've never watched one of your w- watched one of your videos and thought, man, he coming kind, of, kind of comes across aggressive or jerky, mm. you know, which mm. I can't say that for a lot of uh, videos yeah. that I've seen um coming from apologetics sometimes uh, that are addressing the current culture because it is so there's a lot of bad mm. ideas, like you said. And so, um, I just really appreciate what you're doing. And I'm imagining you're getting a lot of um, ideas from people that are on TikTok going, hey, this really messed with my faith. Is that true? Because Mm -hmm. I hear that on this podcast. I have young people come on and sometimes they'll say, well, I watched this TikTok. And now, you know, I think the Bible changed in 1946 or whatever it is, you know, something like that. Yeah.
1: That's exactly right. Um, the, The influence that just a short TikTok video can have on someone's faith, um, is is really almost unbelievable and i actually get it because if you're not grounded if you don't have a faith that really understands like what's true then it doesn't take much right to 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 knock you over um with one of these with one of these videos so i just a, a quick story um a, a guy that um go to church with young guy he Messaged me on on Facebook and said, Tim, I really need to talk. Here's my number, kind of thing. And so I'm, yeah, I'll give you, I'll I gave him a call. You know, it was late, you know, 10 o'clock at night. And, and he shared with me that he had been watching a YouTube video of an atheist. And he said, he, his exact words were, Tim, I wish I had never clicked on that video. Yeah. Because my faith is absolutely rocked right now. And and he knew, I mean, he could put the pieces together. He's like, I don't have a foundation to even like compute and plant my feet when this thing, when the wind starts blowing, you know? And uh, so we kind of talked through a number of the challenges that he he got from watching this video. And uh, and what, so one of the things I say is if you can't give a why to your faith or for your faith, you'll never be able to give a why not to your doubts. And there are tons of these challenges, um, and these uh, that that bring doubts, uh, that uh, cause doubts to arise in our hearts. And when a doubt comes, doubt isn't bad in itself, but it can make or break your faith. It can cause you to lose your faith, and it can also cause you to have a strengthened faith. Uh, My own experience has been through the doubts that I've had that my my faith has come out stronger on the other side. But there are countless stories of individuals who started doubting and that set them on the path to unbelief, um, which is just really sad. And it's one of the things, one of the reasons I get out of bed in the morning. You know, We at Standard Reason do an apologetics conference called the Reality Apologetic Student Conference. And uh, I just was there on the weekend in Philadelphia. We sold out. There was 1,300 students, 1,400 students. Um, We actually had 1,200 in the room and then 200 in an overflow room watching the conference. I mean, and we've actually, by the way, that's our fifth conference this year. And at each one, we sold out. Well, technically there's one that we didn't fully sell out. It was in Minneapolis, but that church holds 4,500 people. And we had about about 3,900. So my hope is next year, um, that church, which is the biggest church in Minneapolis, um, will be uh, absolutely packed with students getting equipped to answer their doubts.
0: Well, I'll tell you, I think you're coming to Seattle in October, I think I heard. So I think I need to bring a group of teenagers from around here to see you guys, because I just think that's yeah, incredible we, what you're doing.
1: We wow. will be back. Make sure there, Make sure you sign up early. I know we sold out there um, in October this past year.
0: Tim, I was going to ask you, you grew up in a Christian home. You said your faith wasn't like super important to mm-hmm. you at a certain time. Um, yeah. And then as you were doing, um, diving deeper into, mm-hmm. um, you know, answers, you found some good ones. Yeah. Um, did you ever doubt your faith then during that period? Cause you said that you kind of were doubting it. So what made yeah. you decide to pursue looking for answers instead of like so many people like going, Oh, there's a lot of objections here. I think I'm going to turn yeah. away. Why do you think you stayed?
1: yeah well i think there was probably a number of different factors for me one is um you know this was the the faith that was raised in right and so there was there was definitely the the kind of psychological part i think and to say that that wasn't a factor at least the beginning um wouldn't i wouldn't be being honest um and so there was that aspect to it um there was also i think the the part where you know i I wanted to know what was really true um and so there was that as well and trying to kind of sift through a lot of the claims that were out there look i had some really sweet friends who were muslim and they did not believe that jesus was the son of god in the same way the christian does and so um sure they have beliefs about jesus but we believe different things and i knew as, i knew that we both couldn't be right you know and then of course i had my atheist friend and and they you know thought we were both wrong you know this all this religious stuff was kind of nonsense um although they weren't like i had some aggr- aggressive atheist friends especially in teachers college that was like that was like the gauntlet for me because that was a secular institution and everyone in my class for the most part was going to be a science teacher of some kind, whether it was biology, chemistry, physics. And um, so they they really thought it was odd that here's this future, here's this guy with a physics degree, he wants to be a science teacher and yet he's a Christian. And so we would have, man, so many conversations about science and faith um, virtually every day. In fact, we probably talked more about that than we did about, um, you know what our class and our homework and everything else we we're supposed to be doing. So so that was um probably the motivation was, okay, I, my parents are Christians. Do I need to talk them out of this stuff? you know, um, and I don't want them believing a lie. and um, and I certainly don't want to be believing a lie. And so that was that was um, that was part of it. You did ask, did you have doubts? And I would say, absolutely, I still do. <laughs> You know, um, I find that the more I study, um, the more I have questions, you know. Um, and uh it's like when you my boss, Greg Kokel, you know, he says, those who think deep thoughts ask deep questions. And those who ask deep questions often have deep doubts. It's it's, you know, I know lots of people that don't doubt. And it's not because they're super christians it's because they don't think very deeply you know what i'm saying <laughs> if you're so, listening
0: and you don't have deep it's okay
1: <laughs> yeah yeah no i'm i'm just saying it doesn't i'm not saying that that's the <laughs> yeah. case for you but no. i'm just saying and i think if we're being honest <laughs> yeah there are people in my life you know my like for example my mom is not like an apologist you know um she but she doesn't wrestle with some of the questions that I wrestle with, yeah. you know, like, she's not wrestling with the authorship of the gospels. Right. Um, She takes it as face value. You know, it says Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Okay. Yeah. I, I'm not content with that. I want to go deeper. You know what I'm saying? I yeah. want, what is the reason that we believe that Matthew wrote Matthew? Yeah, And you know, it's not supposed to be attributed to someone else. So, um, I, I think it's partly the way I'm wired as well that uh I I really want to get to the bottom of some of these things and here's another point that's part of this sometimes you just can't get to the bottom of it. Mm-hmm. And so I used to like, man, I just want to be certain about some of these things and now I've come to a I think a more reasonable um outlook and that is you know sometimes you just, you just hit a wall, you just go as deep as you can. And, you know, you know, there's more out there. But unless I'm going to get a PhD in that subject, you know, I'm probably gone as deep as I can go, you know. Um, And I just won't have, you know, 100% certainty on certain questions. And I found myself saying, I don't know when it comes to certain things um, more readily. And I think that's a more authentic and genuine kind of approach, um, to doing apologetics. So I, you know, I've been on a journey myself and learning a ton, um, and kind of learning, uh, better ways to respond to challenges. And, uh, and I still got a long way to go, but that's kind of how I got here.
0: Well, that brings up a really good And and real quick, before we move on here, I just want to acknowledge that we do have a little guest here with us as we're talking. I don't even know if she can say anything because her Wi-Fi has been going in and out as she's been trying to log in. It's not Luca from Switzerland. It's Lou from Italy. And those of you familiar with this podcast, Mm. you may remember Lou. She's been on some of our previous episodes. I can think of um, conversations we've had with Justin Brierly and mm. um, some other people that have been on here. I can't think off the top of my head, but Lou would remember, but she, I can see her face. She can, she's ah. no longer with us, but if she comes back and she's got good Wi-Fi, I'll even let her say hi, but just wanted to say that she's here um, or mm. at least trying to be here. And Lou, uh, I just love you. And thank you for, for showing up for this conversation as much as mm. you could. Um, but Tim, it, it brings up a good point because I, I, I'm like that, right? Like I have deep thoughts and then I wrestle mm-hmm. with stuff and I've been through seasons in my faith journey where I had big questions and mm-hmm. couldn't find, you know, the answer right away. And, um, the internet is a double, ed- double-edged sword. You can find great answers, but you can also yeah. find a lot of garbage. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, I I feel, you know, very strong in my faith, but I still have questions. And what advice would you give to somebody who maybe is like that? And in fact, it's so interesting that Lou was trying to log in when you were talking about all that because mm. Lou is like that. Um mm. if she was able to <laughs> speak to us, mm. I think she would tell you she's a sensitive person with a lot of deep thoughts and a lot of, you know, yeah. questioning a lot of different things. And so how do you as someone who is like that um, mm. and you you want to have a strong faith, how do you get anchored?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, there's probably a few things that I would do in that situation when I find myself in that situation. Um, I try to, uh, first of all, um, articulate my doubts, you know, um, okay, what is it? That I'm I'm doubting in this situation. Maybe maybe the best way to do it is put it in in terms of a question, especially if it's an 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 intellectual doubt. What is what is the question that I really um is made me unsettled or or whatever, and and then okay once I understand what that doubt is, I want to kind of go hunt for the answer, um and that involves man uh, like you said. You could go to the internet. That's that's one place. Um, you know, there's people I trust in my life who have kind of earned their place as the person that I would go to when I have my when I have my questions or my doubts. And I think we all need those people. And I think this is where the church has kind of failed. You know, I hate I love the church, okay? And I don't want to beat up on the bride. That's not my intention, but we gotta call things out when we see that things aren't, aren't right. And I think that one of the things that isn't right is that the church is not seen as a safe place to express your doubts and your questions. And we, it should be the first place that we go to. um. And so, and so who are those people in your life that you can go to and say, look, I, I don't know about this. I'm really struggling with this thing right here. Can you help me? And I have people in my life who who are pretty smart, you know, and and so they can help, or they're willing to say, Tim, I don't know, but let's go find out together, you know, and that is cool. So if we need people in our lives like that um, who can disciple us, I mean, this is ju- what I'm talking about is just discipleship, you know. But unfortunately, in the 21st century, we we don't do uh, discipleship very well. I know I'm speaking kind of in generalities here, but um people know what i mean so there are some people doing it really well but you know in many areas i know personally growing up there was no discipleship and i crave it i absolutely crave it i want someone to say tim like just take me by the hand you know and say here's here's how you you know approach this and i for me greg kokel you know my boss he's 73 years old And he has kind of heard everything at this point. Um, And he would be the first one to tell you when he doesn't know what to say um, or know the answer. Um, And uh, and I really appreciate that about him. You know, he's not going to fake it till he makes it. You know what I'm saying? He'll, he'll, He'll say, you know what, Tim, you should go talk to this person. Or, you know what, here's a good book. You need to read this book if that's your question. And maybe that will give you some answer or some closure or whatever. Yeah. So... So handling your doubt in, in that way. Um, and then I would wanna I, I would wanna say, look, it's okay to have some unanswered questions. And I know that's hard, hard to hear because we all want our theology in a perfect box with a little bow on the top of it. Okay. I get it. But if you have if your theology is that tight, then likely you you don't understand God because God doesn't fit in a box. You know what I'm saying? Like So, so there are things I've changed my beliefs on different things over the last few years, you know, and, uh, and I'm sure there's still some things I believe, well, I know there are some things that are wrong that I currently believe, (laughs) but here's the thing. I don't know what those are yet. So I'm not purposefully holding to wrong beliefs. I don't want, I don't want to hold the wrong beliefs, but we all do. And I think acknowledging that and saying, look at again life is a journey trying to figure this stuff out and hopefully you know next year i'll have more true beliefs than false beliefs and the year after that i'll have even more true beliefs than false beliefs mm. you, know, you so so i think again that's a perspective i think that's a perspective on how to approach um knowledge and your questions and doubts and then when you get this you know, thing that comes up, it's not like, you know, I watch a TikTok video and I'm not like blown off my seat. I'm not, I don't, you know, I can't tell you how many people saw Rhett McLaughlin from Good Mythical Morning, famous YouTuber, you know, Rhett and Link. Um, Rhett gave his deconstruction story on YouTube. It has well over 2 million views. And I can't tell you how many people messaged me saying this has rocked my faith. Mm. Just hearing a youtuber, you know, um and when I watch it, it doesn't rock my faith. And I'm thinking what's the difference here? And it's not because Tim knows all this stuff or whatever. It's because I think I just have a totally different perspective than some of these others. And so it's like, uh-oh, this one thing is challenged. They're thinking maybe the whole thing's junk. Mm-hmm. Man, he challenged the view my view of creation therefore is Christianity true anymore and i'm thinking no okay if that's you got some things all messed up if that's what you if that, that's what you think christianity is you know um so maybe maybe that will help um yeah. those who are who are listening and thinking yeah i i like that perspective a little better yeah. um
0: but why yeah. do you choose uh, to still be a christian then and not mm. an agnostic when I mean to say it you're agnostic is just to say I don't know I don't know so how do you know that what you do know is true because that kind of segues into this question Tim Mm -hmm. people believe lots of things that make them happy but that aren't necessarily true right yeah Santa Claus the tooth fairy the Easter Bunny we could talk about other things that are hot topics we won't (laughs) lots of stuff Um, and since many of the world's religions contradict one another logically speaking they can't all be correct That's right. Um, So what's the problem with believing something like Christianity, even if it's just in reality? And and I'm speaking this as a devil's advocate, or in this case, Luke's advocate, Uh, just one of many lies that people tell themselves to feel better.
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. Here's why I believe Christianity is true. I believe Christianity is true because it is the best explanation of reality. That's why. When I when I start looking at my worldview, and we all have a worldview, um, you know, if you say you don't, well, likely you have a you know a one that's not very thoughtful, you know, but you still have one. It's just your set of beliefs about really the big questions of life, ultimate things, like why am I here? Is there meaning and purpose to life? Um, does God exist? That's a big question. Um, and if God exists, you know, well, why is there evil and suffering in the world? What happens after we die? You know, these kinds of questions. And um, I think that Christianity has good answers to these questions. Um, it's not always neat and tidy, sometimes it's a little messy. Um, but I think overall, it is the best explanation. And so, for example, like what worldview makes the most sense of truth existing? You know, if a worldview denies that truth exists, Well, I don't think that worldviews, that shouldn't even be on the table anymore because it seems, um, well, it has to be true. In fact, if someone says there is no truth, they're making a truth claim. And so it's kind of, that's a self-refuting belief that there is no truth. Yeah, that's right. You can ask the question, is that true? And so that's just just an example of here's a belief. And if that belief is part of your worldview and, and fundamental to your worldview, well, you need a different worldview. All right, because I because you just you just admitted or you have in, within it this this self refuting or self contradictory belief. Um, if your worldview says there is no God, you know, um, well if there is a God and there's good reason to believe that God exists, well then you should get rid of that worldview. You know, so you have naturalism as a worldview that nature is all there is. Well, if it could be demonstrated. Um, that that God exists, and okay, we got to get rid of that worldview. Likewise, the theistic worldview, well, worldviews, because there's different theistic worldviews. Ones that say God exists. If you could show or demonstrate that God does not exist, you'd have to get rid of those and pick from a different one. You, you and people understand that, I think. So, so what I would argue is it's the best explanation of things like mor- objective morality. Um, things like the origin of the universe god's the best explanation of um the fine tuning of the universe which i you know mm-hmm. physics um it's it's the best explanation of the origin of life i think um and so we could just kind of go down through these things is it the only explanation no to some of these it's like there's competing hypotheses there's competing explanations my my uh, argument would be that god is the best explanation of these things and that's why i'm willing to you know um put my faith in god and not just god but the christian god um i think there's good reason to believe jesus died and rose again and if that's true well then jesus vindicated his claims to be god himself um so So again, it's, um, we'd have to kind of investigate these questions kind of one by one, but, um, that's, that's, that's how I approach the question, you know, why are you a Christian? I totally agree. I don't think we should believe things just because they feel good or just because we like them. There are beliefs I hold that I may not like, but that doesn't mean they're not true. So, you know, People raise the complaint of hell, you know, and we could, you know, get into all that. But the, the, I I don't love hell. Now, I actually do desire justice. I think we all do. Everybody wants final justice, I think. Now, how that's cashed out, we may not like what it looks like. Okay. Um, But people march in the streets when injustice happens. And when justice is not done, we all know that there's something wrong. We all want, you know, whatever, that person who commits some kind of atrocious, you know, um, assault or murder or whatever. And when they get away with it, when justice is not done, we think this isn't right. And that's because you want to see that final justice. So, and that's what I think, I actually think hell is. Whether how you cash it out at the end, I think there's some questions about that. Um, you know, I don't think there's literal fire, for example. Um, but but it God will make sure God is good. Will the judge of all the earth do what is right? You know, Abraham asks God, Yahweh. And the answer is yes, He will. So again, um, we're we're looking at uh, best explanation and we want to find out what's true. and and sometimes we might not like it, but that doesn't matter.
0: So, just a follow up to that, which sure. I sure came up while you were talking. um, if yeah. you're a Christian right now because it feels good, but you're not sure it's true, should you be a Christian? Yeah.
1: I would um, I would want that person to uh, investigate the foundation of their faith because you know what? It, it, it may feel good in the in the twenty first century right now. Where you live, but I'll just tell you, you're in a bubble, because for most of human history, it would it did not feel good to be a Christian. Read First Peter. First Peter was written to suffering Christians. Um, in the first century, second century, you had you know Christians being sawn in two. Okay, I don't know what that feels like, but it's not good. Um there were Christians losing their lives and their homes and their livelihoods because they confessed Christ. Um, so it's, I get it. We live, if you live in the U S in certain parts of the U S, it may feel like, wow, can't get any better than this. Um, and, and that's because of this very unique situation that you're in, but for most of human history, you had to pick up your cross, you had to deny yourself and you followed Jesus. That's what it looked like. It wasn't, oh, this is gonna give you the warm and fuzzies. It's gonna make you feel so good. You're gonna love this. Um, That's just not what Christianity is. So my second question would be, or my second point would be investigate Christianity, um, find out the foundation of your faith and truly understand Christianity. Because if you're just a Christian because you like it, Um, I don't think you even understand Christianity, to be honest. Um, Here's what Paul said. Paul said, if Christ has not been raised, our faith is useless. It's useless. It's worthless. Well, what, what if it makes me feel good? What if I just, you know, it feels good to say he is risen, even though he hasn't. No, Paul said this had to happen or we are still in our sins. And that is a massive problem. This is 1 Corinthians fifteen, um, if you if you know the the text. Um, but check, read as your homework assignment. 1 Corinthians fifteen, and what you will find out is, Paul thought Christianity was true. He and he thought that the resurrection was the linchpin, and he basically says, if Christ didn't rise from the dead, we should do something else. We, he says, are of all people to be pitied. People should look at us and say, "Oh, poor poor Paul. He believes something that isn't true." So, um that's what it from the very beginning Christianity was founded on on in truth. Jesus said, "I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me." Hmm. That's a pretty radical truth claim. He hmm. said there's a broad way and a narrow way, and the broad way leads to destruction. And then he, he describes what that destruction is. That's that final judgment stuff. And then there's the narrow way and it leads to life if you find it. So again, he's making these really exclusivist truth claims about being the only way. And I know that that hurts a lot of people's feelings. How can you say Jesus is the only way? I say it because Jesus said it. That's why. And I'm a follower of Jesus. Jesus doesn't follow me. And I think one of the biggest problems we have right now in the church, um, in the US, is that, and Canada, is that people think Jesus follows them. And they get a belief, and that means Jesus has to hold their belief. No, that's not how it works. Jesus is going to make some claims that we're not going to like. Mm-hmm. Just read the Gospels. He said some things, and everybody left. Yeah. <laughs> and he turns to his disciples and says, Are you going to leave me too? And they know this was, that was a hard teaching, but Peter Mm -hmm. says, where else are we going to go?
0: Yeah.
1: Right. Who else are we going to turn to? Yeah. You're the one who has eternal life. So, yeah.
0: Well, and just to, as you're talking, I'm getting like excited here because I think too, it's very insular. Uh, to be only focused on, like I'm gonna be okay in my little bubble. It it's just by blind faith that I believe all this stuff. Yeah. Then when somebody comes to you who's actually hungry for some truth and you mm-hmm. know the way, the truth, and the life, you can't offer that to them because you don't mm-hmm. you don't have it. So be equipped. Yeah. Be equipped. If not just for yourself, maybe maybe you've been blessed with you know, this beautiful faith, that's, that's awesome, but equip yourself to be able to have conversations like this with people who actually are asking these questions because the world is hungry for answers that Christians actually, they have. There's a lot of answers that Christians have, just like what you're, you're doing, Tim, in your ministry. I wanted to segue because Luca, she grew up in a culture and home where she learned about Christianity, but was never Mm -hmm. religious. She said. Um, and didn't take the happy stories that she learned at the religious school very seriously. She said that they had to keep everything kind of light and and happy. Uh, Mm -hmm. In fact, I think she told me they didn't really talk about sin. Um, Mm. She told me when we recorded our episode together that she didn't know any of her peers who were doing the religious things at school because they truly believed. Mm. At one point, Lucas said she was shocked when she went to the U.S. and found people actually praying and believing this stuff. She Mm. said she was stunned to speak when she found out people actually believed in the historical reality of a virgin birth, a girl Mm -hmm. having God's baby, Mary being able Mm. to communicate with God. And let's be honest, uh, this one story is just skimming the surface, Tim. yeah, I haven't even mentioned the angel showing up with the shepherds Mm. or the star that led the widest men to Jesus Mm. or the angel that woke up uh, Joseph in a dream and told him to flee for Egypt. If you Mm -hmm. just keep going, it doesn't take a lot of reading in your Bible. There's Mm -hmm. lots of weird phenomena happening there. Mm -hmm. Again and again, like Lucas said, it all sounds, these are her words, but it does, it all sounds a little crazy. Mm -hmm. What do you make of all that and how do you respond as somebody who just told whoever's listening and me, uh, you really don't want to believe Christianity unless it's true. Right. Mm -hmm. It's true. Yeah. So if, if all this is in the Bible as a historical, you know, record, what do you do with that? What do you do with that? Friend, if you're enjoying this episode, you may also enjoy exclusive bonus content each month. Finding Something Real is a podcast that has some costs associated with it. We have a website, monthly subscriptions to stay organized. We design things. We like to pay an assistant producer who keeps things going around here, that kind of stuff. We're not in the business of trying to make money, but we are in the business of wanting to keep this show going and be sustainable. So we use Patreon, and if you haven't heard of it, Patreon is the best place for creators to build memberships by providing exclusive access to their work and a deeper connection with their communities. Each month patrons who support Finding Something Real get a bonus episode where we recap the month's episodes. Often those episodes feature our co-hosts and they will often share what this journey was like. There's other perks over there too and it's easy to get involved. Just go to findingsomethingreal.com and click support at the top of the page. We'd love to have you over there in our Patreon community.
1: Yeah, so I I want to answer I'm going to answer that question in in um in a second, I it occurred to me, and maybe this illustration will help people kind of put things in perspective because we often it sounds like the the school that she grew up in, you know, everyone kind of liked it, um, and but it wasn't it was it was not the kind of thing that could be true, you know, um, they're just you're know, they're just kind of they're just stories, um, and it reminds me we talk about it at Reese and ice cream and insulin, okay, like there's ice cream truths. And those are the kind of true th- that's like my favorite ice cream is you know um chocolate peanut butter cup you know that is that's the best flavor of ice cream and you might say no that's not the best flavor it's actually you know vanilla you know some people out there actually like vanilla and and so um those that's a different kind of claim than that's the true for me but not for you kind of claim when we're talking about insulin it's different my uh nephew, Luke, he uh, was diagnosed with type one juvenile diabetes when he was two. Hmm. That was really hard on my sister and my brother-in-law and their family um, because you have to um, take insulin. You have to get insulin into your body. And the way they do that is through needles. It's poking, it's prodding, it's that kind of thing. And two-year-olds aren't going to like that, you know? Um, but you don't get to... You don't no one went to my my nephew luke and said well would you prefer to use you know mcdonald's to control your diabetes or gummy bears or you know all the kind of things he likes no why not because we're talking about something that either corresponds to reality or it doesn't and it just it, it's true that insulin controls diabetes it doesn't matter if you like it or not it doesn't matter. And so when she when you mention Lou coming to um the u s. and seeing people who actually believe this is true, it's not I don't want people to think, oh, it's their favorite ice cream. That's why it's like they're like the chocolate bean or buttercup ice cream people. But over, you know, where she grew up, it's it's the vanilla people. No, it's not that kind of truth. it's it's the kind of truth that corresponds with reality that kind of truth, like insulin. And so um, that so that's a really important distinction because I don't think people fully get it when they're like, what's with you people? When we treat religion like ice cream, it's, it's like me saying, if you don't believe that chocolate peanut butter cup ice cream is the best flavor of ice cream, you're going to hell. And <laughs> someone will be like, what are you talking about? It's just preferences. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and, but that's how they see it. That's how they view it because they're thinking in terms of a subjective truth. Right. And by subjective, that's just a kind of a philosophical term, but it means the subject, the person, is the one who makes it true. But insulin isn't like that. It's objective truth. The object is what makes it true, whatever the subject believes. Okay. So that's the first thing. The second thing so you asked me about, man, there's some crazy stuff in the Bible. And you're right. I mean, the virgin birth kind of just scratches the surface to all the wild. and and. But here's the thing. We talk in terms of like, this is crazy. When you see the world through kind of the naturalistic um, lens or worldview, of course, a virgin birth is absolutely impossible. On a naturalistic worldview, if there is no God, of course. But the game changer, the thing that totally changes your perspective, would be, well, is there a God? Because if there is a God, if there is a God who created time, space, matter, and energy from nothing, no thing, then surely there's a surely that God could create an embryo. You know what I'm saying? Um, surely, that God who made time, space, so found, and energy could could part the sea, or walk on the sea, you know, walk on water, or you know these kinds of things. Um, if you create the laws of physics, then surely you can violate them, um, or act within them. However, you want to think of a miracle. Um, so, so what's the starting point? And this is where, so this is where I want to back up and say, look, if I read my Bible and I assume that nature is all there is, then there's a whole bunch of stuff in here that is just going to be absolutely, to use the word, crazy, right? It's it's crazy. However, if there really is a God, just like that's just for the sake of argument, if there is a God and he's the same God who's calling Abraham and he's the God that's being described in the Bible, then that totally changes things it's a God who's trying to get your attention um, and trying to kind of wake up the the Isfriites and the Jews um, and, and trying to prove himself as the Messiah, then yeah, it would make sense to see people have their sight restored or healed um, in different ways, lame walking, that kind of thing. Um, so that's where I would want to start. It doesn't mean the claims are true. Okay, haven't even got that far yet. All it's done is you've started putting things in perspective. Okay, if there here's the here's the kind of the way I was taught. My professor Norm Geisler, when I got my um, my master's degree in philosophy, he said, "If there is a God who can act, there can be acts of God. It's at least possible. It's on the table." Now the question is, well, do we have any good reason to believe it? Okay, that's what Lou's really asking. When I read it, okay, I'll assume God, give me some evidence that it happened. Well, this is where I would want to start investigating whether or not there is reliable evidence to believe what Luke wrote, for example, or Matthew wrote, because they're the two that talk about the virgin birth. Um, because I I mean, that one in particular, how do you even begin? To verify, you know, historically that that Mary was a virgin. I mean, you honestly would have to take her word for it, you know. Um, it's not the kind of thing that's that's um like a resurrection where you can have eyewitnesses or whatever. You just have to with the virgin birth, you have to take Mary's word for it. Um, but this is not, and so I don't want people to think, well, I'm just taking a blind leap in the dark at this point. What I would want to do, again, let's take a step back and look at whether or not it seems like the account that Luke wrote is trustworthy and that the people involved are trustworthy sources. That would be the difference. Okay. And if you can start to build a case, like little brick by little brick, that there is this is a reliable testimony that can be trusted, then if you have that kind of evidence then all of a sudden i'm going to i'm going to have faith that what it says about the virgin birth is true okay but that that faith that step of trust is standing on the evidence okay that's the difference a good example might be okay i was on i was in philadelphia on the weekend. I'm married. I have three little girls, 11, nine, and uh, seven. I think I, I mentioned that maybe on the air, maybe it was just us chatting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I, it's all blurred now together. But um, I was away from my wife. Now, she could tell me, Tim, I was faithful to you. I did not cheat on you. Okay. Now, I, that's that's her that's her claim, right? Now, why is it that I believe her? I mean, she she made the claim, but I, I have no other kind of confirmatory evidence directly. Well, indirectly, I have all of this evidence of being married to my wife for the last 15 years, and she has given me so much evidence in trusting her. okay? So it's not that it's not that, well, I didn't have cameras following you all weekend, so I have no idea, you know what you did. No. I have 15 years of over and over and over. It might be small things, but when you pile those up, it it becomes this mountain of evidence that, man, if someone said to me, Tim, your wife cheated on you this weekend, I would actually be, I mean, because it would fly in the face of all the evidence. I have really good reason to trust my wife. Um, So maybe there's something like that going on where, I believed in the virgin birth because this not not because um, of you know there's there would be any way to historically verify that one particular claim, but because that claim rests upon a context, and that context has a whole lot of evidence that goes along with it.
0: Wow. Yeah. I love that. And I think you're right. I love what Frank Turek talks about, about, you know, what's the biggest um, miracle that we see in the Bible. Most people say the resurrection. He goes, wrong. (laughs) Something like that. Like the creation, God spoken, instantly happened. If God can do that, then there's nothing he can't do. Like as far as, you know, when it comes to the world and miracles and that kind of thing, obviously he's given us free will, but I love the example too of, you know, trusting the consistency of somebody over time. And, um, yeah, I, I think yeah. it's hard if you do come from the naturalistic perspective, mm-hmm. you know, of going, wait a second, wait a second. But I know that there've been examples of people recording miracles even now, and they wouldn't really be miracles. This is another Frank Turk line. They wouldn't be miracles if, uh, mm-hmm. they happened all the time, right? They're, they're yeah. unique, they're special. They're meant to get your attention. Um, but, isn't there a great book? I, maybe you've read it, Miracles by, is it Craig Keener?
1: Yeah, Craig Keener has a two-volume set um, that is just this monstrous uh, amount of evidence, you know, for miracles. I, I mean, for your for your listeners, if they're looking for something more digestible, yes. I would recommend um, Lee Strobel has the Case for Miracles. And it's, it's actually a really helpful resource because it does, it goes through, he interviews Craig Keener and talks to a few others who experienced miracles. He also talks to the skeptic, Mike, Michael Shermer, mm. who's a skeptic of miracles and actually interacts with him a little bit, you know? And so you kind of get the challenges from the other side. I think that's a helpful resource. What I would so here. Here's my advice for Lou. I wish that she was Luca. here with the Sorry, uh, I uh, sorry. Luca, criminally, Yeah. <laughs> okay. Here, yeah, Luca. Here, here would be uh, my advice. I would start from. I would do a top-down approach. Okay, because here's my here's my worry is you're gonna when you go to these individual claims like um like the virgin birth and it's like see this is crazy people don't, this, this doesn't happen. The The problem with investigating that particular claim in isolation is you're forgetting about all this other stuff like God's existence and whatever. So bottom up, I get it, um, you know, you see, or you see like a contradiction in scriptures or you see whatever, and you you're trying to do this bottom up approach. What I would suggest is more of a top down approach and that is start with the biggest questions. So start with the question of God's existence. And what I would do is, um, is try to settle that question in your mind. Obviously, if there's no God, then you don't have to ask the question about a virgin birth. You know, it's just not, it's, you don't have to look into the evidence, even if, you know, if there was like specific historical evidence somehow, you wouldn't have to, because you already concluded that those things don't happen. So what I would do is start with the top question. Does God exist? look at that dive deep into it now if you say yes now you can go to scripture and start looking at these particular miracles i would put the virgin birth in a completely different category than the resurrection the resurrection is public whereas the virgin birth is this private kind of thing you know that only mary would know um you know that that kind of thing so 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 a top down Working your way to the nitty gritty instead of starting from the nitty gritty details and going out from there. Uh, um, I, I, for for some reason, I think that's a kind of a better uh, approach, and and you might end up kind of uh, being able to to get at the question in light of all the background stuff in in just a better way um, yeah. than if if not.
0: That's great advice. I know we're running out of time here and I have a couple final questions for you, but one real quick one, and this is off the fly too, but since you mentioned it, I know Luca has kind of come to the conclusion that God can't exist for various reasons. And we're going to be talking about some of those objections, um, this month. Um, but for you personally, Tim, Mm -hmm. um, what is one very compelling reason that you believe Mm. that God exists? And especially as a man Mm. of science, who mm-hmm. has a heart for physics and the fine-tuning. Yeah. I'd love to hear um, something that's gonna put a rock in Luca's uh, proverbial shoe here.
1: Yeah, um, I mean that okay, let's nice do, <laughs> yeah, 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 let's do, um, I, I do find the fine-tuning of the the universe um, a compelling argument for a, a intelligent designer. Um, what's interesting is there's there's been atheists who have made a similar kind of claim, although they didn't change their view, Like a Christopher Hitchens. He thought there was some value in this argument um, and said it was the most persuasive. Although it didn't. didn't, Yeah, Dawkins, too. Um, You know who? There's a really good book that she may be interested in um, called There Is a God How the World's Most Notorious Atheist Changed His Mind. And it's about it's a story of Anthony Flew. Anthony Flew was the most published atheist in the 20th century. And and he basically, in uh, if I can kind of summarize his thesis, he says something like, um, uh, why do I believe that God exists when I have spent the last, I think he says 50 years defending atheism? And he says, the simple answer is this, this is the world picture as I see it, that has emerged from modern science. That's almost an exact quote at the end there, that has emerged from modern science. Now, what did he what did he look like look at in the book? He says, the origin of life, the origin of the fine-tuning of the universe, and the origin of the universe. Those were kind of his three big arguments um, that changed his mind. Now, I don't know if he ever became a Christian. Um, I don't know if anyone knows that, but uh certainly came to believe in God. Here's one of the arguments from fine-tuning. Um and again this bypasses like man all the evolution stuff the the argument is how do you get life without a fine-tuned universe a fine-tuned universe requires um either it could be design it could be chance or it could be like it had to be this way most people say it didn't have to be this way like the the strength of gravity could be different or the mass of say an electron could be different. Um, In fact, in theoretical physics, um, we can actually play around with the numbers and see what happens to the universe, like our our models of the universe. And there's a really good book by uh, two physicists, astrophysicists from Australia. And what's really cool is one is an atheist and one's a Christian. And the book is called A Fortunate Universe. A Fortunate Universe. Now, it could get pretty technical, but they're both Aussies, so they're hilarious. Okay. (laughs) And they agree on the fine tuning for the first seven chapters of the book. And then their explanations are different. Uh, Luke Barnes, who is the Christian um, physicist, he says it's God. The other one says it's a multiverse, okay? And then they respond to each other, kind of their their explanations. And I think he's right about God. I think, it, I think it's a better explanation than a multiverse. Um, but let's just look at, say, the mass of the electron. The mass of the electron is ridiculously small, okay? Like we use um, mega electron volts to, as a unit, but that means nothing to most people. So if I put them in terms of kilograms, the mass of an electron in kilograms would be like zero point zero, 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 and you go down like 30 zeros, something like that, it's 30, 31 zeros, before you get to your first number in kilograms. Very, very small. What happens if that mass changes? Like, let's just multiply that mass by two and a half, okay? What happens to the universe? Well, these guys have calculated that you go from a universe like ours to a universe that is nothing but neutrons floating around. That, is, that means no stars, that means no chemistry, forget about the periodic table, it's gone, okay? You get no planets, you get, you get nothing but neutrons floating aimlessly in the universe. That is a universe with no chance of life. And that is just changing the mass of the electron by two and a half times. Um, and you can do this with the up quark and the down quark. So three particles make up all of matter in the universe, a uh, visible um matter and that would be the electron up quark and down quark um and all of those are fine tuned and then, then you get the constants man the the gravity crank gravity up or crank it down and you get no you get no life um and there's other constants as well so it is i mean the numbers that you start to you start to calculate our minds can't even wrap around them okay it almost gets like stupid to talk about the numbers because it's like what does that even mean? And and it just means that it's not it's not happening. Um, in fact, uh, I, in my presentation on this, I, I use an illustration and I say, the chances of getting the gravitational constant are like one part in 10 to the 40th power. That's a one followed by 40 zeros. What does that mean? It's like covering the entire continent of North America in dimes and then stacking the dimes to the moon, okay? Entire continent of North America, dimes to the moon, and then do that on a billion more continents, the size of North America, dimes to the moon, and then I blindfold, you know, let's say I'll use me. We blindfold Mister B, and you put a gun to my head, and then you paint one of the dimes in the sea of dimes on a billion continents, size of North America to the moon, one dime red, you know, because of the red pen. Throw it in there. And then, and then you say, pick the red one blindfolded or you're dead. That would be almost comparable to one part and 10 to the 40th power. If I pick the red one, I think everyone would say, Tim, you peaked, you cheated. You designed the outcome, right? You wouldn't say, wow, you're lucky. And that's just one constant, you know, when you start to, when I start picking the red dime every time in a row, you know, that, so, so this is, this is, by the way, this, I hope people are seeing that this is a compelling kind of argument mm-hmm. Yeah. because it seems to point to some kind of design. Like it's almost one physicist who wasn't a Christian, Freeman Dyson, he says, it's almost as if the universe knew we were coming, mm-hmm. you know? like like man it's like someone set up the table it's like showing up you know i'm in my my home here and it has the stuff is set up the way i like it you know and it's like arriving at a house and everything's set just perfectly for you you know yeah. and it's it's got your favorite food in the fridge it's got all the stuff and it's like yeah this kind of thing um it's like the universe knew we were coming but yeah. The best explanation of that, I think, is is God as the the designer.
0: Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. I <laughs> have you read? It's um, it, Eric Metaxas' his book is Atheism Dead. Have you read that book? I haven't.
1: I haven't read that one yet. Does he, he go into some of that? He
0: goes into some of that. He used the penny analogy or the dime analogy, and what was amazing, I was listening to it on a road trip um, last summer. And I was driving, listening to, and it's a lot, you know, he's going through all of these different guys, scientists, a lot of them agnostic Mm. or atheist who are talking about the fine tuning. And, um, I mean, I, I cried listening to it because at a certain Mm. point, like you're saying, it becomes ridiculous. Like how could this all be by chance? And it's yeah. science. It's not, um, you know, woo-woo. Uh, <laughs> you know, like this, is, I'm just going to believe this by whatever, you know, because it makes me feel good or whatever. It's hmm. science that points to a creator, to a mind hmm. that designed all of this. And I give a talk yeah. about something versus nothing and the fine-tuning. I can't remember um, who said this, but they, I don't think they were a believer at all. They might have been agnostic. But um, a scientist, he said... We're waking up to a really unfortunate truth, something along these lines, um, that the universe looks surprisingly like a fix, like somebody did yeah. this on purpose. Yeah. And um, and science points to that. So anyway, yeah. thank you for sharing that example, Tim, because I think it's just it just uh, scratches the surface of um, the riches that can be found just in that one argument, and there's a lot of mm. others, obviously. Um, I wanted to ask you real quick, and then I have a final question, but you create content, um, Mm -hmm. that you spend time on social media. I mentioned that sometimes people, maybe people in the Christian camp don't understand what you're doing. Um, you're probably creating content that people poke at a little bit. Some people don't like, even though you're doing it in respect. Um, you have been misunderstood. Obviously it can't be easy work. So why Mm -hmm. do you continue to do it?
1: It, you're right about that. It's not easy work. I get messages um, every day from people who take the time to personally message me to tell me how horrible I am. Okay. So it is not easy. And it is, you know, the kind of thing that I don't need this. Why don't I go do something else? You know, in university, yeah. <laughs> I cut I cut grass. And it's like um, for the town. I could be real happy cutting grass right now. Um, but no, that's not that's not what God has kind of equipped me for, for this season. And, um, the reason, you know, I keep going is because three in five young people walk away from their faith by the age of 15. And I hate that statistic. And that that could have been me, you know? And when you look at the top six reasons why young people walk away, they're all apologetic. Okay. They're all questions about whether it's science. I, I left because I think scientifically now, or I left because I can't believe that Jesus is the only way, or I, you know, um, or the list goes on. And one of them is doubters, you know, it's just I had doubts and I didn't have, any, I didn't get answers. Well, I don't look at if someone walks away from their faith because they want to sleep with their girlfriend, that's on them. Okay. But if they walk away from Christianity because they don't think it's true, that's on the church. Mm. And I'm, I'm going to do something about it. And so if that means me, you know, sometimes at two in the morning putting together a video because that's, you know, I just got home from a flight and I want to get a video tomorrow. Okay, let's go. And my wife knows, you know, I ain't coming to bed tonight kind of thing. That's what we're going to do. You know, I'll, I'll sleep when I'm retired, you know, if that day ever happens. But um, so that's why I do it. I I want to equip, uh, in particular, the next generation at Standard Reason. One of the things we've been saying a lot is the most important generation of the church is the next generation of the church, and I believe that with all my heart. And um, so that's why I'm on TikTok. I do not want to be on TikTok. Okay. Um, but it is like one of the most ungodly places and I get a lot of trash talk, man. It's like, but I also have almost 200,000 followers on TikTok and I'll tell you why. Because there's, there aren't apologists or there's are not that many apologists on TikTok. And there's a ton of young people. I mean, the average age on TikTok is, you know, probably under 25. Mm -hmm. And, um, they're looking for quick answers to some of these challenges. So if I got to stand there and, you know, take some abuse, um, I welcome it as long as, you know, we're seeing people reached with, uh, the gospel and how to defend it. And I do get, I do get messages that are kind too and sweet and Hey, this helped, you know, me grow in my faith and that kind of thing too. And those, those actually help keep me going too. Um so that that's that's the motivation there.
0: Yeah. Uh I love that. Um so the finding something real podcast is about a journey towards restoration, eternity, authenticity and love. Real is an acronym for restoration, eternity, authenticity and love. Mm. Those are things that we can find in relationship with Jesus Christ. Which of those stands out to you the most in your life right now? And why?
1: Yeah, that's really good. Um, I have, you know, I've been really uh, thinking a lot about the the love piece, especially when I'm making content that's responding to um, things that uh, are going to be interpreted as unloving. Um, one of my recent videos that's doing really well is um, I respond to uh, what... Matt Walsh should have said to Joe Rogan, and the question was, yeah, the question was, um, why does God make people gay? Mm. That was a question Joe Rogan put to Matt Walsh. And I get it. Matt was on his, you know, he's on the show. It's it's like, you know, you don't get a lot of time to think. And um, I wrestled with how to respond to that challenge. I want people to know, I don't just like throw the video up. Here's my, you know, off the top of my head response don't think that's what mr b does i spend a lot of time that one video i re- i wrote a script 3 weeks ago and was like it's just not sitting right you know i want people to feel the love of christ when they watch this i want them to sense my heart and compassion and i i i it was done and i rewrote the whole thing and took a totally different approach and uh, i think that was the right move but it was like In my mind i'm thinking i know that this is going to be hard for people to hear so how do i make this as loving as humanly possible while communicating truth and that is not an easy thing to do Mm -hmm. and and your listeners will know this when they've been in discussions with people truth and compassion full of truth and grace you know this is jesus he's our model can we do that sometimes it's really hard and um people aren't going to like what we have to say but I want them to see, I want them to see um, how we behave, our character, and hopefully that love shines through. Um Francis Schaefer, kind of one of my heroes. I discovered him actually kind of in the last few years. Um, he's an apologist from years ago, and he talks about our final apologetic. And he says our final apologetic is how we love each other. Mm. And I thought, man, that is so good people may not want to listen to what you have to say, but they're watching you. And um, and so I hope that people watch the Red Pen videos and, uh, and they see some of that love coming through.
0: Yeah, yeah, and we'll link uh, all of that in the show notes and make sure that we mention it in the beginning too. Tim Barnett, Mr. B, thank you so much for being here. Until next time. Thank you for listening to the Finding Something Real podcast, friend. This season, we are inviting young women to join me as they share their personal stories and ask honest questions or share objections to the Christian faith. We hope to feature a different story each month and then invite Christian guests on to share from their own journeys and experiences and maybe answer some of those questions in follow-up episodes. Friend, the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I believe with all my heart that Jesus Christ is still in the restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love business. I know not everyone has experienced that. But if you're curious at all at whether there's something real to be found in Jesus, I invite you to come back next week as we continue on a journey towards finding something real in relationship with him. Until next time.